Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries Podcast. This week, Brother Jeremy Moore, our Minister of Music and Families, outlines to the Pathfinder Fellowship Group a pastoral approach on the rapture from passages such as John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, providing comfort and encouragement for believers. Let's listen together. All right, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting a whole new section in this chapter. Paul completely shifts gears here. He's been been leading up to it, but now he's going to launch in. And that is a, it's a very comforting passage this morning. Uh, And it was intended to be a comfort passage. This is a pastor speaking, and so you're going to see that. It's a pastor speaking to his congregants And it is to calm them. It is to give them comfort and assurance and to offer them something to to live for uh, and to look forward to. So we've just come off of uh, verses 1 all the way through verse 8, talking about and dealing with our sanctification, which is the will of God. And then also how to live with the view of Christ returning, and that is with brotherly love. It's, uh, as Paul writes it, uh, he says, a quiet life in verse 11, minding our own business and then working with our hands. So in other words, living your lives in accordance to the gospel with the sanctifying work happening in you. And then he changes gears here in verse 13. And there's a reason. And he addresses this grief that some of them are feeling and anxiety and um, I wouldn't say hopelessness, but he reminds them of the hope that they have to come. So let's pick up in verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I've probably done about 40 different funerals with Brother Glenn since I've been on staff here. And he always goes to this text at a funeral because it's a comforting passage. It's a comfort to those who are mourning the loss of a believer because they know that at... Um, the time of their death, they are, their spirit has lived on. Their body has died. Their earthly bodies are going to be put in the ground. Um, but their spirit lives on, and it lives on with Christ. Now, I want to also make mention that the spirits of those unregenerate people also live, um, but they live to be raised to hell and damnation. And so uh, that's a, not a comforting passage. Um, when you're preaching a funeral for people who are not saved. That is, the, I've been a part of three, I think, three funerals that we know for a fact that the person laying in that casket was not a Christian. 
That's a very hard funeral to do because what comfort is there? What in verse 18 when he says comfort one another with these words, there is no comfort. You will never see that person again. That person is dead and will die forever. And so it's a it's a grief. But Paul is sharing with believers a comforting passage of those who have gone asleep. And I love that he they start to use the word asleep. Paul writes in the New Testament. <clears throat> We're going to get into that in a few moments. But he doesn't say dead. He never says dead. Um, occasionally you'll see the word dead, um, but he most of the time refers to sleep, a repose, a uh, temporary repose, something that you wake up from. And so it's an encouraging thing. But he is giving this to people who are expecting and waiting for Christ to come. And so they're waiting for the return of Christ. Remember we talked about they were expecting Christ when he entered into Jerusalem, even before that, to establish the kingdom, which will take place um, at when the new Jerusalem uh, happens. And so they, they weren't thinking about the millennial reign. They didn't have a clue how long that was going to be. They had no idea necessarily the timetable for tribulation. Um, they knew that there was great wrath to come, but they were expecting to be um, taken out <clears throat> to, for the Lord to come. And it was the next thing on their timetable. And so they're in the church age, but they had no idea that the church age would last as long as it has. They were just kicking it off. And, um, and so they're walking through this and they're, they're sad. They're grieving because there are people that they love that are dying. And they're not there for the Lord to come back. And so there's this question mark for them. What happens to them? Like, they're, are they going to miss the day of the Lord? Are, are they going to miss Christ's return? What's gonna, are, are they second class now because they weren't alive for Christ to come back? What happens to them? What's happening right now? And so Paul is giving them a comfort text. But in this comforting text, we can also see a very comforting thing for us, and that's what we hold to, is a pre-tribulational rapture. It seems very uh, evident from Paul here um, that there is the next expected event to be that of the gathering of the saints. The gathering, to gather together. And in this passage, we see that it's going to happen in the clouds, in the air. He's going to meet us in the air. And so there are uh, some who believe that maybe the rapture will take place at the midpoint of the tribulation, maybe right uh, at the time of abomination of desolation, Daniel chapter 9, or maybe even at the end, right there at the sheep goat judgment when Christ comes down the second time. But um, I'm going to present to you what the church um, holds to, and that is a pre-tribulational rapture. And I think we could all say amen to that. Uh, hopefully that is the case. But you're not going to find anywhere in Scripture, <clears throat> anywhere in Scripture, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice here. You're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where there is an exact timetable of this is when the rapture will take place. In fact, you're not even going to find the word rapture in Scripture. You are going to find a gathering of the believers and you're going to find passages like first Thessalonians 4 or John chapter 14 so go ahead and look at John 14 real quick as we launch into this so you can kind of see what Jesus said to the disciples another comforting passage as they're wondering what's going to happen to us what's going to happen when you leave us like what's about to take place and so Jesus gives us the first um, identifier of the rapture that we know John 14 verse 1 he says do not let your heart be troubled Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Thank you, Tracy. That where I am, you may be also. He doesn't say where you are, I will meet you. Okay, this may seem silly, but this is, if we're going to take the Bible literally, which we do in every other aspect of the Word of God, then I think we need to look at this approach and take it literally. When Jesus says, He will come again and receive us to Himself, well, where is He? Well, we know that He ascended into the clouds, and we know that He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's making intercession for believers, so we know where He is. And so He says to the disciples in John 14.3 that He will come again and receive us you to myself, that's the disciples, he's talking to the church, that where I am, there you may be also. So going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, we see in verse 13, 14, 15, 16, going down through there, that he is giving an assurance, a comfort, a guide, but he also explains the event of the rapture in, in verse 16. Again, the Lord himself will descend. Okay, we saw him ascend. The disciples were gazing. Remember, the angel says, why are you staring up into the heavens? The the way you just saw him go is the way he'll come in like manner. They're they're staring at him. And so we see that in verse 16, he descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet. There's three things there. There's a shout. It's a military shout. It is a call to order. It is a attention it is a shout. It is a going from um, just a, like Paul just described in um, verses um, uh, 9 and, or yeah, in chapter 4, verses 9, 10, 11, 12. It is a, not that it's a lazy thing, but it's a quiet living. It's a loving. It is a minding your own business, working with your hands to a shout, call to order. It is time to go. And it is immediate. And it is um, at the twinkling of an eye which we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's go ahead and get that passage under our belt this morning as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These are the three passages that speak of the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51. <clears throat> this is the mystery of the resurrection. Verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. All right, let's pause there. That's where we get this very quick, very uh, abrupt um, leaving, gathering, as you would. It's the twinkling of an eye. It's the faster than the speed of light. Okay? And so it's like as, as fast as the light can leave the eye. It is so fast. And so it is in a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. There's the trumpet again. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. All right, you can continue on. It talks about death being swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Uh, The sting of death is gone when Christ suffered and died on the cross. There's still death, but the sting is gone. The sting is removed. Death is no longer uh, uh, a fear for any of us. I was uh, at a restaurant this week with Jordan Dersh and another local minister in town, Jacob Votner. He grew up in our church. And and we were sitting there at Sushi Row over there by Starbucks in town and... um, uh, about it wasn't even our server, but uh, at the end, uh, this guy comes up. He goes, "Can I take your? Can I go ahead and get your bills?" And so we said, "Y'all have military discount," and all three of us were military. And he said, "Oh yeah, we do." And so we gave him 
well, we were showing him the cards, and Jacob put his, which you're not supposed to do, in his billfold uh, folder, and the guy says, oh, I don't need your CAC card. Well, when he said CAC, I was like, he, he has some sort of idea of military, um, some sort of idea. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's got a dad or something. Maybe he just sees it all the time. Well, he comes back, and he gives a discount, gives us the bill, and he asks, are you all local? Are you all at the military base here? Well, he opened up the conversation. It was perfect. And so a uh, young guy, 17 years old, he's at Prattville, but he's virtual, so he's working. Uh, he's got a great situation going on right now. Um, but we start telling him what we do, chaplains, ministers, didn't know what a chaplain was. Um, so we explained to him, oh, okay, so you're kind of religious. Yes. What are you? What do you believe? Uh, oh, I grew up Southern Baptist. And we were like, well, you're just talking to three of them right here, so let's <laughs> talk, buddy. Uh, and so it was like, really? Okay. So, wh- so we just started digging in, and it was like very calm, very polite, but three of us kind of tagging him. But he was lingering. You know, you ever seen those before? Like, you, you always feel like you don't want to, I don't want to bother people. This guy was lingering. In fact, uh, every now and then we were like, dude, don't get in trouble, all right? So, like, you know, I don't want, he's like, well, I mean, how can you get in trouble for talking about Jesus? And I'm like, well, you can. So just, just don't get in trouble. And so every now and then he would walk, hey, let me go check these tables. He'd go out and then he'd come back. And he was like, he wants to continue talking. This is amazing. And so we uh, continued just asking him questions. Like, basically, he believed in Jesus. He believed in the resurrection. I just flat out, flat out asked him like a, a Todd Frill question. Do you believe in Easter? Easter just happened. Do you believe in Easter? What is Easter? Uh, yeah, that's when Jesus, he, he, he rose from the dead. Yes, why? Why did he die? And so he had all the answers to those things, but he, he said he didn't know if he was going to heaven if he died. He was fearful of death. I mean, just he said it kept him up. He was so fearful of death. And I said, well, it, it should make you fearful, but there's, you know that you don't have to fear death. And so we started to then explain to him about how the souls of believers never die. And there, there is no fear in death. And he talked about how these pastors in the past were just so prudish and so hardcore. And, just all, and he started listening to all these things. And it was like, well, you know, I don't know those pastors. Maybe they were a little rough around the edges. I don't know. But maybe you just didn't have ears to hear or eyes to see. And I said, do we look mean and prudish? And we were kind of joking around. And do we look like we're just sour pusses, you know, just so mad? And he was like, no, y'all look pretty normal. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's good. And so great conversation. I think it lasted 30 minutes. And I kept feeling bad because the owner is back there cutting the sushi. And every now and then he's looking up like, like, what is this guy doing, you know? And so uh, long story short, he admitted to us that what was holding him back from salvation was his sin. He enjoyed his sin. He didn't want to give up uh, certain things in his life. And it was like, well, um, we're all sinners, right? We all uh, need a salvation. So you are not going to come to the end of that until you realize that that sin is against a holy and righteous God and that you are destined for a place called hell, a place of everlasting torment. And you could just tell he was like, but it wasn't there. It wasn't clicking. It, it was not. He wasn't ready to let go of that. We gave him our numbers. We told him to start reading in the book of John. And uh, we had, we're going to go back again this Tuesday. We're going to meet up with him. And so uh, he did not call us. So this time we're going to get his number. We made a mistake. We didn't get his number. But he did get ours. Um, but I guess it was a little. He just said text us. Just send us a group text. Which maybe he didn't want to get attacked. But all that to say, people fear death. And even these believers at, in First Thessalonians were fearing death, not because of they didn't know that they would be with Christ, but they just didn't know what it was going to entail. They didn't know what it would involve. They didn't know what their, their brothers and sisters who already passed away was going to um, experience. And so Paul says in verse 13, we've got to launch into this, it's a phrase that Paul uses over and over again to introduce a new subject and a new teaching, a new revelation. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brethren. We don't want you to not understand this, brethren. 
And he uses the word brethren. It's a very personal term. It's a pastoral uh, feel. Again, this is a comforting message. But he says, I, we, we, I want to teach you something new here, something that I don't want you to walk around ignorant about. We do know that it's a revelation because in verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So he's claiming this is of God. This is from the Lord. Was this from Jesus' mouth? Well, we do know in John 14 from Jesus' mouth, he talks about us being, uh, he will come again, receive us to himself, that where that he is, we will be there also. We do know that. Is this particular message that he's about to give them from a, wor- what kind of word of the Lord? We don't know. We do know that it's a revelation of God. And so Paul is going to give us this. He says, brethren, my brothers and sisters, He says about those Christians, those that's referring to Christians, those who are regenerate, who are asleep. All right. So he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Notice he doesn't say dead. They're temporarily asleep. They will awake from this. Just like in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen fell asleep. Um, we know that he died physically, but it was a clinical, uh, from a clinical human standpoint, his death. But his spirit lived on, his body lived on. Um, we're not going to turn to these, but 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Uh, the Bible uses the word sleep again, uh, temporary repose. Chapter 15, verse 6 of 1 Corinthians. Some have fallen asleep, verse 18 of 15 of Corinthians. Fallen asleep in Christ, verse 51. Um, not all sleep, but all will be changed. That's that passage of the rapture we just read. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4, they fell asleep. It was a temporary death. And so this sleeping is something that takes place for the believer because Christ has conquered death. So because Christ has conquered death, we no longer die. We sleep. We sleep temporarily. Our spirits live on, and one day our bodies will be resurrected in perfect form. What will that look like? The disciples were wondering too. Is it going to look like, like you? They're in the upper room. They're looking at his hands, looking at his feet. Is this what the resurrected body is going to look like? There's no answer there. We don't have a clue. We just know that it's going to be perfect, and it's going to be uh, resurrected to our spirits there. But the spirit is immediately in the presence of the Lord, and we know that. And what, I don't know how that looks. I don't know how that is. But we know that they are with the Lord. So those who have died before us, uh, preceded us in death, they are believers. They are with the Lord right now. Now, the Bible says he doesn't want them to grieve, verse, end of verse 13, so that you will not grieve, and here's the phrase, as do the rest who have no hope. You get that. Can you imagine grieving? Maybe you've done this. Grieving over someone who has died and you know they're not a believer. Or maybe even just doubting and, and, and really highly doubting. That's a very hard grieving process. Because you know you will never see them again. And you know that their eternity is sealed for wrath. And it's a very, very sad situation. And I have been a part of funerals like that. I've been a part of funerals where Brother Glenn... This one in particular refused. The mother was okay with this. She understood. Her son was not a Christian. Brother Glenn refused to get up there and paint a picture that this guy was a Christian. He couldn't do it. Because there's people out there listening to him preach this message, and they knew the way that guy lived. And so if they were to, if we were to paint this picture that he was a Christian, oh yeah, when he was like nine years old, he became a Christian. Um, then they're going to walk out of that room and say, well, I can live the same way because, you know, once saved, always saved, live the way you want. It's not, that's not the truth. We don't live the way we want. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. And so I remember that sermon, and it was a pretty hard day because there was people out there that you knew were not church people, and they weren't Christians. 
And so when he got up there, he didn't just flat out say he's rotting in hell. He didn't say anything like that, but he did say that there was no evidence of his life of being given to Christ. He says, I hope and pray that we will never know, but I hope and pray that at the, at the last moment he gave himself to Christ. He said, but we have no evidence of this. The mother was okay with it. She goes to this church. She knew. But there was men and women in that congregation that all but spat on him on their way out. They were so angry that he would get up there and, and not paint this beautiful picture of this one. It's a hard thing. And, and grieving with no hope is beyond imagination. My grandmother had to do that with her own mother, and I remember uh, she never got over that. Uh, constantly thinking about her mother, who was um, not in heaven with Christ. So he says, I don't want you to grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. That's a dead-end grief. Now, um, Christians, obviously, we never say a final goodbye to believers. We, we don't grieve like the hopeless pagans grieve, uh, because we have God, we have hope. But the common teaching there, and we see this today, was that life was all there was. It's just some, you know, we live this life the best we can. Maybe we're reincarnated. Maybe we come back in a different form, or we just, it's just over. And so many people claim to believe that. Some um, mystery religions taught that afterlife um, was what to live for. And uh, I even heard an interview with, uh, again, Todd Frill this week, uh, Witness Wednesday. He was talking to a... Um, a guy, I don't remember the Sikh religion, I think it was what it was called. It was in India, but it wasn't one of the main ones. But, but still believed in reincarnation. And uh, so Todd was having a little fun with him, um, you know, asking, well, are you going to come back to be like this tree or this rock? Or are you going to be like one of those animals over there? And he's like, no, I, I think I've been a pretty good person, so I may be like the top tier. And it was just interesting to hear this. You know, you're like, this is so sad. It's just so sad that people are caught up in this. And, and Todd handled it great. But, um, but... <sighs> I, it's, it, it, this is out there, you guys. This is very, I mean, this is like, like this is the teaching of there, but then, but it's the teaching now. Go to a college campus and talk to these kids. Tyler's in, can, in college right now. I'm sure he hears all kind of crazy stuff. But uh, it's out there, and it's, it's getting into our adult uh, uh, worlds. And, and then we're bringing it into the church. Churches are uh, accepting of everybody, and there is no um, really f- form and function. And, and so people come to the church and they're non-believers and then we're trying to function like believers and then there's quarrels and everything else and you wonder because some of them are not saved. Um, This grieving is what prompted Paul to tell them of the gathering together. So I'm not going to say rapture. I'm going to say the gathering together because this is a real thing. This really takes place. Um, John, again, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4 speak of this. They all teach on the gathering together event but it's all uh, a response to certain distress. Every one of those. None of, those, none of these you're going to find being eschatological treatises. They're not going to be like really in-depth on the timeline. They're all more comforting passages, talking about the event itself. But you do have eschatological passages like Revelation or Matthew 24 through 25, which pastors are going to be getting into in a few weeks, um, that's going to be more about timeline, future uh, uh, events. But you're never going to find the word rapture in those. In fact, you don't find the mentioning of this coming together event in any of those timelines. So Matthew doesn't talk about it. Revelation doesn't really talk about it. And so they're not there. The only thing we have is by Jesus' own mouth with the disciples and Paul in 1 Corinthians and Paul in, um, in Thessalonians talking about this event, this coming of the Lord. And so let's look at this in, in detail. In verse 14, he gives us some 
some identifiers, of, or so I, I should say pillars of the rapture, things that we can place the rapture upon, things that had to happen for this to take place. Number one, in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for if we believe that, number one, Jesus died, okay, that had to take place. Jesus died. He, he, you have to believe in the death of Christ, that he paid the penalty for your sins. It was the death of Christ that brought us um, the, uh, the, the possession of eternal life brought us into that. And so we're, he bore our sins. He became sin on our behalf. So Jesus died so that he could turn our death, again, into sleep that we just mentioned. It was in his death that he fulfilled all the conditions. He made acceptable to God um, what we could not ever make acceptable to God. And so if we don't belong in him, then he won't gather us together. The gathering is for those who belong in Him. Um, death has been changed to sleep. And I like this, and we've mentioned this a few times already this morning. But it's been changed to sleep by the death of Christ. And so this death is, is something that has to take place in order for us to comprehend a rapture. And for us to under, understand that those who die are asleep and they will be changed and transformed. And I like that he says later on that those who are asleep in Jesus in this verse. We're going to get there in a moment. It's at the end of the verse. In Jesus. So Jesus died, pillar number one. He paid for our sins, and the wages of our sin is death. And he paid for that with his own death. The second, I guess you could say, pillar of the rapture is the resurrection. Right here in, in the same verse, the resurrection. It is for if we believe that Jesus died, for if we believe that he rose again. We just talked about this last week. We celebrated this. This was like the culmination um, for Easter, and Easter continues on. It wasn't just last Sunday. It goes for a few more weeks here. Um, and so we are celebrating this rising again because in his rising again, um, we are identified with him. Just like in baptism, buried in death. And raised to life. Um, and, th and that's the same I picture here. I like what I. Howard Marshall says. God will treat those who died trusting in Jesus in the same way he treated Jesus himself. Namely by resurrecting them. So when we die, our souls will be with him. Bodies in the ground. And they will be rejoined. The resurrection of us all is linked to the resurrection of Christ. Uh, you can jot these verses down. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Again, chapter 15, uh, we've talked about this. It, it goes into this, this same idea of this gathering together. Hebrews 13, 20 says, We will be raised up also with Christ. John 14, again, 1 through 3, but also verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, God has not only raised the Lord, but also us up. And 2 Corinthians 4, 14, we are raised with Jesus. Raised with Jesus. So we have, for if we believe that Jesus died, for if we believe that he rose again, even so God will bring with him, with him. God will bring them all to himself. Those who have fallen asleep, they're not going to miss it either. And so he says that not only will you be gathered together, but even so God will bring with him those. Who are those? Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. 
So, number one, they're an identifier. They've fallen asleep as believers. They've died trusting and, and, and repenting of their sins. They believe in Jesus. But not only that, I love this phrase because not only are we alive in Jesus, even when we are dead, we're in Jesus. Even when we're asleep, we're in Jesus. So when we're in Jesus, we're in Jesus forever. And I love that, that, he, that, that phrase that Paul uses there, that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. See, uh, this, this death is being related to Jesus Christ himself. Those who have passed in Christ, uh, once in Christ, are always in Christ. Always. And so they are, he died and, and risen, and he will collect those who die, and he will ri- raise them up, but also those who are still alive and remain. And he gets into this in just a moment. So it's a comforting passage. With him they will be. So even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Have no fear, church. The the ones who have fallen asleep, the ones who have died, will continue, and they will be with Christ. And so then we have the revelation of Christ in verse 15. So look at verse 15. This is, uh, Paul's already mentioned this beginning, that uh, uh, he's brought them to a new subject, a new attention uh, subject matter here, and this is a revelation of Christ. Verse 15, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, this is a divine utterance that came from the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That we, Paul said, he's including himself in this. This is believers, but it's also the fact that Paul lived in this anticipation as well. They had no idea how long this would be. And so on the next event of Paul's timetable here is the rapture, the gathering of the church. I, I think it's a very, very convic- convincing argument to say that the rapture will be before the tribulation because Paul isn't talking about years of, uh, of trials and temptations that will take place. He talks about current, but he doesn't talk about things that have to take place in order for the rapture to occur or for his second coming to come. He is literally giving them this anticipation that he himself is is waiting in. He knows that life is brief. He knows that he's going to die in a matter of 20, 30, 40 years. And so he is anticipating with these alive and and those who remain. And so he's looking forward to um, the fact that salvation is almost near. He writes in Romans 13, 11, deliverance, it will come. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, he says, will also raise us up in that power. And 10.11 of 1 Corinthians, upon whom the end of the ages have come. 16.22, O Lord, come. They're waiting, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, for our Lord from heaven. We know that. We've read this passage, 1 Thessalonians 1. They're waiting on the Lord. They're, remember, they were even getting anxious, anxiously waiting, not even doing the work of the ministry because they're so anxious and waiting for the Lord's return. And so I think it's pretty convincing, even though on the eschatological timetable, you don't see exactly when the rapture takes place. And that's why there's arguments of, is it before tribulation, mid-tribulation, after tribulation? But I think it's pretty convincing argument that they're waiting for it, that they're, we're going to go up and then we're going to have the marriage of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat judgment. That's all the, the account that we have to give as believers. And it's not a judgment of sin because that's already been taken care of by the death of the cross of Jesus, the atoning work of Christ. But it is uh, a judgment for, um, uh, uh, th- that determines our eternal rewards. And so it is a judgment for believers, the Bema seat 
and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. All that takes place during the tribulation. And then you have the second coming of Christ where we come down. Some people believe that there is the rapture at the end of the tribulation. Well, that's like a, we're going up and then we're back down. I mean, it's like there's, it, there's no time for anything. Um, and so that doesn't make sense either. And so some people say, okay, it's pre-wrath. It's middle of the tribulation. And so it's before the abomination of desolation. I can see maybe, okay, maybe you can get into some of that. But uh, it's still, it, I just like taking the Bible literally. And so I, I would like to believe that we're going to be gone before that. But that is before the, the serious part of the judgment takes place, Daniel chapter 9. Um, but even, even still, it just seems like that Paul is giving no inclination that there's going to be an Antichrist. Look for this one. Look for that. This will take place. And then we'll look for the coming of the Lord. I mean, he's just like, they're anticipating it right then. They're waiting. He says, this is to say, I say to you by the word of the Lord, this is a, a revelation, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, parousia, that is the second coming, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There again, he's going back to the comfort passage. This isn't, an, this isn't just an eschatological treatise here. He's not giving us a lot of theology. He's giving us a comforting passage. He says, until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. They knew about the coming of the Lord, but the rapture was new to them. It was a revelation, revelation by God. So I think the participant of the rapture, we see, he says, believers, even himself. That is participation. But we need to look at the actual plan of the rapture. All right? So 16 and 17, 18. We're going to have to come back to this. But 16, 17, 18, the plan. Um, it says, for the Lord himself, not the angels, not the angel armies, not all of us coming back. It says, for the Lord himself. That's the bridegroom coming for his bride. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, kaluzma, a command, military term, fall in, with the voice of the archangel. Jude 9 seems to think that it could be Michael. Daniel 12, uh, Michael's there at the resurrection of Israel. So we know that even that second resurrection there, there's, there Michael is there, so it could be Michael. Um, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now, this is the trumpet uh, that some people will hold to the, the final trumpet in the uh, end of the tribulation. That's why they'll believe in the post-trib rapture, because the trumpet of God. But, um, you know, it seems to me, going with this gathering theme, the fact that the Lord himself is the one descending, not anybody else. The Lord himself is descending to gather his church. That this gathering trumpet seems to be a trumpet of assembly, which was one of the trumpets that was used, Exodus chapter 19, to meet with God. So Exodus 19, 16 through 19, talks about the trumpet of assembly. It's like a, it's a trumpet that is for gathering, gathering the people together. And so this trumpet was used to signal the Lord's coming, a deliverance trumpet. It was a uh, deliverance and assembly call. And so you have this shout, military shout, fall in, this with the voice of the archangel, this loud call to stand up, to respond. And then this trumpet of assembly, this gathering together, it, it, it's, it's the trump of God in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, at the rapture. And so, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So again, he goes back to those who have died. He says, you know what? Those who have died are not just second class. They're not just, oh, by the way, they're going to come too. They rise first. And Paul's telling them, they, don't worry about them. They're going to come out of the ground before we go. They're going to rise first, and then the dead, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain. 
Again, we, Paul, me, you, believers who are alive, who survive and remain, will be caught up. That's seized, carried off by force. This, this is where we get rapture, the word harpazo or harpazo uh, in Greek. Uh, it's uh, the word where we get rapture, but it's, it's really, it could be uh, used for like snatched because the word itself actually means uh, plucked out to seize, to carry off by force. And so it is a catching, snatching of his church together with them where in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this is where it doesn't quite make sense that the Lord's coming down to establish the millennium that we're, he's gathering us up there and he's going to like get us all in line in order and then we're going to come back. And it could happen that way. It just seems like we're missing. Where's the bema seat judgment? Where's the marriage of their lamb? When does that take place? It's just gone. Uh, or does it happen in, in a moment? And then we're back down. It, it doesn't quite make sense there. So it seems to make sense that this is the next thing Paul's waiting for. This snatching up of all his church before it gets crazy. To meet the Lord in the air. It's uh, faster than the speed of light. Uh, you know, you could say that he's trying to snatch us out before the prince of the power of the air can do anything about it. It's so quick uh, that we are snatched on out of here. In the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, to meet the Lord, rescued out to go where he is. Not him coming to where we are, because we know that the millennial reign will be here on earth. So it's to meet him where he is, in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Purified to be a people of his own possession is what we'll be. And we will be with him forever. And so... As we look at the plan of the rapture here in these three verses, two verses, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Just look at these words. Descend from heaven, he ascended, with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord and then he says in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. You know, another thing that you can think about when walking through this, you're trying to think through Paul's writing and you're trying to think about him being a pastor. The argument on the pre-tribulational side of things is why isn't Paul, instead of Paul addressing their grief for those who have died, why aren't they celebrating the fact that these people have died and they're not going to face the tribulation? Like, why, why are they grieving the fact that they've died and now they're going to miss this terrible time that they're about to go through? And those who have survived and made it through this tribulation are going to be the ones that, that are snatched out. So Paul doesn't address any of that. In fact, Paul is addressing their grief and he's giving them comfort. And so uh, this, it, it's, just, it's interesting that Paul it doesn't go there. He talks about trials and tribulations, but he's not spending this very useful uh, time and, and parchment or whatever it was he was writing on to explain to them that their grief should not be there, not because they're going to be the first to rise, but because they've just missed a terrible time that you're all about to go through. That they have just missed something that you don't want to be a part of. In fact, you probably all want to go ahead and die. Because this is going to be miserable. 
He doesn't go into that. In fact, what he says is we are anticipating the coming of the Lord. You need to love people. You need to live a quiet life. You need to do the work of the ministry. Waiting for the Lord. Living in the light of his coming. And so he comforts them in that way. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You're, gonna, you're going to talk to people who don't agree with this timeline. And it's okay. It's okay. Because this doesn't make or break anything. God's going to do what God wants to do, and Christ is going to come when Christ comes. One thing we need to know as believers, we will be protected. And we will be taken out. I mean, you can't deny this passage. When will it happen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from a literal platform and say, Paul is waiting for it. I believe it's going to happen before the tribulation. Some people do not believe that. And if they want to go through the tribulation, then by all means, they can have at it. Um, they can have it. But I don't believe that this is a theological uh, discourse that's going to make or break um, much of anything. Okay? Um, I do believe that if you don't believe he's coming to gather his church, then you're, you're wrong. Okay? You're, 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 you're failing in some of the passages of Scripture that tell us. Even in John 14, Jesus' own words, he goes to prepare a place for us. He goes to prepare a place for us. Where is he at? In heaven. Well, we know that heaven's coming down. The new Jerusalem's coming down. There's going to be a whole new heaven and a new earth. So why is he preparing a place for someone we're not even going to go? We're just coming down. There's no, see, see, there's a lot of questions on both sides. Actually, three sides. So we're going to get into a little bit more of this because we're going into the day of the Lord in chapter 5. I mean, this continues on. Paul continues trudging forth. The day of the Lord is not the rapture. So when he says a thief in the night, that's not the rapture. We've always, we've always blamed, I mean, we've always tagged that with the rapture. But the thief, I mean, the thief of the night, the coming of the Lord is the end of the tribulation. So just like the snatching away in the blink of an eye for the rapture, uh, it happens quickly. Just like that will happen as like a thief in the night at the end of the tribulation when his second coming takes place and you have the sheep goat judgment. And that is a time period where he separates the sheeps from the goats, the lost from the um, saved. Um, that, th- this, is a, this is a study that um, hopefully will be like Paul is intending it to be, comforting. Comforting because we know that we're not, we, we can't quite figure it all out. Um, I've not talked to anybody who is completely sold on their own viewpoint on it, but a lot of people have different viewpoints. Um, and uh, I'm teaching from the platform of where our church stands, and that is a pre-tribulational rapture. Pre-millennium, pre-millennialist is what we are. Um, and that is that we will be uh, raptured out. I mean, um, that, uh, the, that the millennium will take place at a certain time period after the tribulation. Some people don't believe that either. They believe that the millennium is taking place right now or that um, there's no starting point, really definite starting point for it, or that it's still future but not necessarily a thousand years. There's a lot of things out there, okay? I don't expect you to know all this, but I do, hopefully it'll intrigue you to go and study some more, okay? Um, I think, like I said last week or two weeks ago, we don't do enough justice to studying end times because it it does get confusing. Um, A lot of us aren't good with uh, alliteration, and so it's it's maybe tough, but I want to encourage us as we walk through, and it's going to prepare us because Brother Glenn's going to be getting into Matthew 24 very soon. And he's going to really be getting into some of the uh, eschatological timeline stuff. So, but he's going to hold to a pre-trib rapture. Um, and we're going to be teaching it from that viewpoint. So 
Uh, we're way past time, but there was a lot here today. So I hope this kind of whets your appetite because the next few lessons are really going to be digging in deeper um, into rapture and the coming of the Lord, which we don't want anybody to go through, right? Uh, we want Bema Seat Judgment's enough. That's embarrassing enough. We don't want to go through uh, the sheep goat judgment. Uh, and that would be where we are sent to hell for our sins because we haven't been, hasn't been paid for by Christ's atoning work. Those who have rejected him. Um, so have no fear if you're a believer. Um, your sins are covered. Your sins have been washed away. Uh, it doesn't mean you can live however you want. You won't do that. But your judgment seat will be uh, a rewards um, judgment. But you want, you want to do the work of the Lord. Uh, obviously, you don't want to be last place. Well, I didn't barely do anything. <laughs> Come on, y'all. We're going to want to live for the Christ. So uh, we're going we're gonna to continue to walk through this. But let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's good to be in your house. Good to study your word. Uh, Father, as Paul gives us a comforting passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do uh, not quite understand uh, all because it's not laid out clearly. Um, one, two, three, four, five, where everything's going to take place. But we do know that it seems that Paul was anticipating the very next event to happen, that to be the gathering together of the church, the rapture as we like to call it. And so, Father, we don't uh, want to not be prepared for any kind of tribulation that will come our way because we know that even in our own um, church age, there's tribulations and there's trials and it will heat up as the closer we get to the tribulation. Father, but we do... uh, we don't want to just live so comfortably that we're not anticipating your return, but we want to live for you, God, with, the, with anticipation that you're coming back. You're going to come get us, gathering us together. So we, we, we rejoice in that. And we, we love you, Father. We ask that you uh, whet our appetites to study even more and to learn and to grow in you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.